Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who thinks a 70-30 split is something only John claude Van Damme can do, Mr. Lauren Baumgarten. Lauren! <laughs> What's up, Brent Adams? What's uh, going on, man? I do not believe that statement. I, too, can do a 70-30 split. That's right, but you're doing a 70-30 split out of a 60-40 split. So, I mean, really, you know, you're 70-30-60, and, and, and it's eight, it's 18 uh, don't don't think you're going to play your mind games with me, my friend. I can keep up with your math. <laughs> I was going to say it's not mind games; it's math. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can keep <laughs> up with your math. Says something about the educational system you and I came up in that we can't tell the difference. That's right. Uh, hello there, my friend. How are you this week? How's your week I'm been? Great. I'm doing just great. Um, it's been a uh, it's been a busy week, but it's been good times, yeah. and uh, I'm. Uh, I'm just enjoying my uh, my little daughter. I think I talked about last week on the show, like she had her first birthday party, and that was all very cool and everything. So this week has been uh, this week's been a lot of fun, mostly spent with her. But uh, it's all good, homie. It's all good. Watching the wire, re rewatching the wire. This is like my fourth time watching the entire series through. You got to get into that at some point. Yeah, no, that one's that, that's one that's uh, slipped by me. I do need to get into it, but I've been I've been too busy playing games, my friend. <laughs> Lucky you. Um, that's right. And speaking of uh, speaking of, of playing some games, let's let's uh, go ahead and move on into the garage and talk about. Uh, I guess one of the one of the bigger stories this past week uh, was the fact that uh, Nintendo, after after years of just pooing all over, just just pooing all over. Uh, YouTube Let's Play uh, channels that uh, that featured Nintendo content. Suddenly, Nintendo has seemingly reversed course and come out with a uh, a partner program where if you want to publish Nintendo Let's Play videos, Nintendo is going to partner up with you and they're going to split the money with you seventy thirty if your channel if you if you want to partner your entire channel to them. Or sixty forty if you just want to do it one video at a time, and uh, and I tell you what, man, if if you read about this on any of the mainstream tech blogs, uh, you would think that this was the second coming. But uh, if you actually talk to some of the people on YouTube who uh, who make a living there and, and who run some of the bigger channels. Uh, and people who actually read the terms of service for this thing. I say terms of service, the contract, like the agreement that you will sign and be bound by. If you actually get into the nitty gritty of this, um, it uh, it might not be as great as it seems at first blush. Yeah, that's a true story. And I got to say, Brent, this is uh, this is growing ever, ever more disturbing, the relationship between uh, YouTubers and companies. This one in particular, uh, as you said, uh, when the news broke, it, it seemed like it was a great thing that Nintendo, all the headlines I saw were Nintendo allows YouTubers to uh, post content or something like that. But the reality is, is that, uh, <laughs> well, there's a couple things here. So uh, Boogie, Boogie, I'm going to call him Boogie. Boogie I don't know the numbers. Boogie 2988. Boogie2988, I posted a video about this, and we'll link to it in the show notes. You can check it out. He explains in detail how this, how it actually goes. And basically, basically, it works like this. If you don't make this agreement with Nintendo, you can't post anything. 
yeah. uh, of their content. If you make well, this you agreement, make, you can't make money off anything. You I'm sorry. Yes, you can't make money off of it. Uh, if you enter into this agreement, uh, Google gets f- roughly 40 percent of the money that is generated from ad revenues, which is always the case. Yeah. And of the remaining 60 percent, they will give you either 70 or 60 percent of that 60 percent. Uh, is essentially 60% the deal. Percent of sixty percent is sixty percent. One hundred percent. Don't even try, Brent. It's like turned into um, the, it turned into the producers. It it, it so, really did turn into the producers. Just like so that. basically, I mean, the deal is typically when you when you're allowed to post uh, post content from a game or something like that and make a let's play video and monetize it, and make money off the ads. Google takes forty percent. You keep sixty. That's typically how it works. Yeah. What Nintendo is saying is that you can do that, but they want. 30 to 40 percent of your 60 percent your that's right right which is uh um uh you know i i think we could have a discussion brent about about where where that stands but uh, whether or not that's that's a legitimate um if it's legitimate for them to get money off of that based on the fact that they're essentially already getting a tremendous amount and probably the most effective kind of free advertising that they can get uh, because the audience is so targeted uh, and uh, people tend to trust YouTubers. But this is actually the part that concerns me more, Brent. And it, it, it is it, it is precisely because people trust YouTubers that they are so valuable. However, uh, the other part of this process is that everything you, you post has to be submitted through Nintendo and Nintendo has to approve it, which means essentially not, not essentially, which means Nintendo will, we can and will uh, disallow anything that they do not think uh, serves them. So basically, yeah. basically they, they won't, they won't let you post anything that is negative. I'm assuming uh, about, uh, well, that, uh, about their games because they don't have to specific. Let's be specific. What they say Basically, anything that Nintendo decides that they don't like, they're leaving themselves enough latitude to uh, to strike it on that basis. In addition, of course, uh, the, of course, it, sa- it also says in there that the terms of, of the agreement can be changed by Nintendo at any time and without cause. And so that yeah. means they can change the uh, the agreement with regard to how what percentage you're getting or how much money you're getting, and. Uh, and also, uh, of course, what they find object- objectionable or not. So, absolutely true. Uh, this is this is uh, even more concerning to me than the specific monetary uh, portion of this, Brent, because I, I just, I even though we've had a couple of um, stories over the last, I would say, twelve months about people getting paid to, for for specific kinds of content, I still don't think that it's widely known or widely acknowledged. And even when it is. Um, was it who was it? It wasn't Level Cap Gaming that I was watching. It was so Jack Frag. Maybe I can't remember, and I shouldn't say that because uh, I'm going to end up. I'm talking about somebody that may. I don't want to inadvertently associate them with a a behavior that they didn't do. But it was well, one I of the you're more say pro- associate them with us. <laughs> no, no, no. It was <laughs> one of the more prominent so YouTubers though who who had who had accepted money and said in the video that they accepted money. Yeah. But it was like a 22 minute video, and they said it at the ni- at the 17th minute, in, in, like very very quickly. Right. And it was it was anything but obvious. With right. 90- and, percent of the audience has tuned out it was anything but obvious and it just you know in my opinion if you're accepting money if, if it's a paid promotion it should be uh it should be overtly clear that it's a paid promotion and i don't think youtubers are doing this and i think i think it's uh disingenuous because i think the entire reason that youtube has value is because historically they have not been paid for and so people trust them as real people giving real opinions when you fundamentally change that paradigm but don't 
tell people you're changing that paradigm, uh, I, I think it's disingenuous. And actually, I have to be honest, I, I'm a little surprised now that I'm saying it, that it's not borderline illegal. I, I don't think that I don't think that you're going to have much of a case of saying that Nintendo is doing anything illegal. No, 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 not Nintendo specifically. Just the idea that people are are, are on YouTube are are putting forth the idea that they're homespun creators, but they're being paid for promotional materials. But the materials aren't being what I would consider to be um, appropriately identified as such. Proving fraud in that case is I, I, I don't know that that seems that seems like a like a long throw to me, but. Um, but I, I understand what you're saying, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, how, whether or not they're being upfront with, you know, who they are, uh, what their interests are and, you know, whether or not they're being compensated by the companies whose games they cover. Right. Um, I think that, I think that the, the thing about this specifically that is kind of frustrating is that it's like yet again, another example and I can't remember if I thought of this or if I read this and I'm stealing it from someone. Uh, so I'm at least going to leave the door open because I might be lifting this hook, line, and sinker from somebody else. <laughs> but it seems to me that Nintendo by itself is awesome. And anytime the word internet gets anywhere close to Nintendo, they suck and they swallow donkey balls. Nintendo and the internet just cannot seem to find a way to reconcile uh, what what I perceive to be the the kind of control freak mentality and I guess maybe very traditional approach to business that Nintendo as as a company has. I, I think that they desperately need new leadership on this specific uh, part of their business, perhaps not overall as far as game development and, and hardware development goes, but their online approach to everything, I don't think there's anything there that, that couldn't stand to, to have a sledgehammer taken to it and, uh, and, and be, be refit. So I, I appreciate the fact, given the fact that Nintendo has, has absolutely disallowed Let's Plays up till now, I appreciate the fact that they are at least seeking some way to try and allow for, uh, you know, people to uh, people to do this. That, that I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But it's the way that they're going about it that is not particularly good for the people who are doing the Let's Plays. And then I think there are the unintended consequences that you were referring to about, you know, okay, well, let's say that I've, let's say I, I've, create a you know viking brent plays nintendo youtube channel and all i do is play 3ds games and whatever and i'm on you know i'm part of this affiliate program you know what if i play a nintendo game that i don't particularly particularly like and i say so you know it, it certainly seems like they've got enough latitude to uh you know to to remove my video maybe even my channel from YouTube and prevent me from making money off of it. They are going to be reviewing these videos that they say that, uh, I think 48, 72 hours, something like that, that they've got to, uh, to approve the video once you've submitted it. So ostensibly it appears that they are going to be watchdogging this pretty thoroughly. So, um, if, if it turns into a situation where basically the only thing that gets through this Nintendo partnership program are videos that praise Nintendo, praise the games, and and you know don't drop f bombs. If that's it, um, I think it's 
pretty much failed before it started because no, uh, none of the major YouTube uh, let's players are going to go for this. They're all savvy enough to to know the difference. I think that I think many of them value their independence, and so perhaps for low level people, maybe they'll go for this and and you know maybe maybe they'll do fine. But it seems so saccharine to me uh, that I don't think that it will really have all that much value. Uh, for either the major Let's Players or their audience. You know, I'm surprised to hear you say that you appreciate what they're trying to do because, and, and I think it's good, but it assumes best intent that, that what they're trying to do is like figure out some way to help their community be allowed to do Let's Plays as opposed to kind of the way I'm seeing it is they're yeah. trying to figure out a way to get, to, get, to get free advertising that they can control and monetize it for themselves. Well, that's the difference between a skeptic and a cynic. A skeptic questions effectiveness, and a cynic questions motives. And uh, and I'm definitely a skeptic in in this sense. Uh, okay, I guess. I mean, I guess I would be both because I I, I question I, I question not effectiveness for Nintendo. It's it's I'm sure it's going to be very effective for them. Oh, I because I doubt that. I think I think it'll be a colossal failure. I, I hope so. But as Boogie pointed out, for the for the other, for people that are big like him. It's a non-starter, or, or, or it doesn't even affect him. But for the lion's share of everybody else, they're sort of in a situation where they have to say yes. Um, yeah, or they just have to keep doing what they're doing right now, which is do Let's Plays uh, and accept the fact that they can't make any money off those They videos. can't monetize them. But, That's correct. That's exactly right. Uh, if you're a smart YouTube channel operator, then you know, you're going you're gonna to put some Nintendo Let's Plays in there. You're not going to make money off those, but you're going to use those to get people onto your channel and to uh, and to watch your other videos that you are monetizing and and all that you're going to diversify, going to diversify those bonds Wu Tang style. Anyway, that's right. Um, all right. So, Brett, next up we have we have some more of what uh, of bad news, unfortunately, and that yes. is that we have found out uh, officially this week that Joystick.com will be closing shop, and it seems like pretty soon. Obviously, Joystick has been around for quite some time. Was uh, run by AOL. Um. At, at one point, is it is it st- it's still AOL, right? Or it was still AOL. Yeah, it, it, it was well, AOL at the end. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're, always they're, been a um, a favorite of of us uh, at the show yeah. and at, at EBA, and of course, uh, as everyone knows, it was the became the home of our own Jess Condit, who became a senior editor over there. Uh, we have talked to that. Jess. Uh, we are very proud of that. We have talked to Jess, and I, and I'm sure that Jess will be fine. We don't have any news or info specifically about what she's doing right now, but when we know, you will know, and hopefully, we'll have her on the show to discuss it. But uh, Brent, this is a this is a pretty big uh a pretty big site to be going down yeah and the thing is this is not this is not the only site that's getting the axe um which is an, a highly ironic statement now that i've said it and i'm on the other side of it but anyway my point is that uh aol is uh nixing i think almost all if not all of their video game related sites they also have they've got a couple of like mmo uh, specific uh, gaming sites like Daniel and I were talking about this the other night. I, I can't, so I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But anyway, the point is that AOL is shuttering uh, at least three that I know of, three pretty ma- pretty major uh, gaming sites under their umbrella. And uh, I tell you, man, it's it's a sad day for me. I mean, Joystick was basically Joystick and PC Gamer. You know, pretty much got me the the gaming news that I was most interested in, and. Uh, you know, I think that I think that of most of the the major gaming news sites, I think that Joystick did the best job of uh, of, of just you know being pretty straightforward with their reporting 
and I I don't really sense a lot of uh, a lot of an agenda to their reporting the way that uh, you know particularly in the wake of Gamergate uh, you might accuse a Kotaku or a Polygon of having. Um, so I, I really appreciated the fact that they tended to just focus on you know the the facts and the announcements, which are the things that you know I'm really uh, most interested in. And uh, you know now I'm going to have to find a new place for that. So I'm I'm personally saddened to be losing Joystick. I'm frustrated on you know the part of uh, of our friend Jess Condit, and uh, and for all the other people that uh, she worked with that are now you know thrust into the job market. So yeah, it's it's just I mean there's just no good there's just no good to it. Fuck AOL. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a loss, certainly for for the gaming community at large, because uh, Joystick was a, uh, as you said, what what felt like a pretty impartial news site. Uh, they did a lot of coverage, and, and no no small um, matter to um, thanks to Jess Condit covering the indie game scene. Um, they did not seem to have an agenda. It was a great news site when we did have uh, a news feed on EVA.com. It was for a while. It was Joystick um, uh, yep. exclusively. Um, we're all we're all fans of the website, and it's certainly a loss for the gaming community to see uh, to see a website like Joystick go. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit more information about why they're doing this. I, I have to assume it's a yeah. a financial decision for them, well, is my guess. Well, the thing about that that doesn't make sense is I don't understand like why they didn't sell it off. You know, why why not sell it to you know IGN or Revision Three or you know you know somebody else? Like I don't understand I don't understand why close it versus sell it if 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 it was a monetary reason. Yeah, I don't, I have no idea. And hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe when we have Jess on the show, we can get some inside in inside information as to sort of why the decisions were made or, or, or what happened. But, you know, hopefully I'm sure all these folks will land on their feet and, and I, it will be a good thing for all of us as they move out and innovate some of the other media outlets. Hopefully they can bring the, uh, uh, the great aesthetic that they brought to joystick.com into those other websites. And, and as you said, we can just wish them the best of luck and they will be missed. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, Last up, Brent, in the yeah. garage, the place would, where we talk about news yes. and trailers. Um, I would ask you why the Witcher Wild Hunt January 2015 gameplay video is in the garage, but that would be like asking, why did you buy donuts or why are you playing with Lego? Uh, the Witcher Wild Hunt January 2015 gameplay video is in this section of the show because it kicks your ass through your face. <laughs> um, I, I am. I'm actually. I'm gonna dis. I'm gonna disagree with you. However, you're not allowed uh, to. What I want to ask you is why is Django Fett written on the document next to? Is he the voice? No, because he's in the fucking. Uh, he's in the fucking game. Didn't you see the part where? Uh, where Gerald goes and talks to, uh, he meets a, a famous bounty hunter, a guy named uh, uh, Jengi Fret. Oh, Dejini, right, right, DJ something something. Yeah, but it's pronounced like like uh, Jangri or Jengi Fret, and I'm like, come on, just fucking call <laughs> the guy Django Fett and be done with it, Jesus. It sounds like it sounds like somebody's like. Like somebody playing, you know, like one of the tabletop uh, pencils and dice Star Wars role playing games. Like, oh, I'm going to play a bounty hunter, and his name is Jinga uh, 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 Fret. Yeah, and he's a he's a Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, come on, seriously. And he's got like a reverse color scheme, you know, where like his armor is blue and the and the the uh, uniform underneath it is silver. I mean, it's just it's like so silly. But anyway, other than me kind of rolling my eyes at that, yes. I, I have to say that 
something about horses and video games always makes me smile. And so you are excited for The Witcher Three. I am, uh, and not because I've played the other two games because I've started them, but I haven't finished them. But I thought it looked very fun, actually. Yeah, so I, you know, I honestly, I was I, the reason it's on here is because I was curious to hear what your feedback was. I and I know that also because I know for many, many of our listeners, uh, The Witcher Three is is a um, is one of their at the top of their list for upcoming yeah. uh, game releases. But I got to be honest, man, it it just doesn't grab me. I told you I played I've played Witcher Two and and um, the gameplay. I felt like was a little bit overly complicated. And as I watched this, I really like, uh, you know, we didn't see a lot of the combat. We saw some of it, but not a lot. And so it's, yeah, it's hard to see if that remains a few as beats. Yeah, but not much for, for a 14 minute video. So it's hard to see if it remains as complex as I felt like it was in, in, um, the Witcher two, but people are going to rip me apart for this, but I honestly, like, I didn't think the game looked that good. Uh, as, as crisp as, and I watched it 1080p 60 frames per second on YouTube as, as clean as everything looked it, I don't know there was something about the, the graphics that didn't uh, like just the way the trees and the grasses moved yep. that didn't feel um, you know particularly next gen as compared to something like say Uncharted uh, I thought the character models were uh, uh, blocky kind of uh, and I, I just I, I wasn't blown away by it and that's not a reason not to love the game I just I only bring it up because so many people bring up specifically the graphics of this game, um, and one thing that really bothered me in this trailer, Brent, and, I, and I'm assuming you can turn it off, okay. but is that how everything has like a name over it, like goat, for example, <laughs> like you yeah. see a goat and it says goat it says over goat. it. It says mountain hare, duck. <laughs> I, I thought that was Jangy there was Fret. so much like oh, right. Jangy Fret. That's right. I thought there was so much going on from a UI standpoint because everything had some words over it, plus the subtitles, which of course the subtitles can be turned off. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I just I just wasn't impressed, and it's not a game that I'm looking forward to. Well, you're wrong. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> other than that, you know, well said. Uh, other than that, well said. Welcome back to the clubhouse. Everybody pull up a chair and uh, join the conversation. We're going to talk about a, a very, very interesting topic today and, and an interesting tie-in to uh, some discussion that was going on over at OutlawGamers.com, uh, talking about games, education, gamification, so forth. Really, really interesting and timely uh, injection into that, uh, that ongoing conversation. But before we do that, we're going to step back to the discussion topic next week for just a second and look at the poll results from the question we posted. For that, I turn it over to Lauren Baumgarten. Lauren. Yeah, so Brent, you posted a poll uh, this week, of course, as usual, uh, referencing uh, referencing the discussion in last week's uh, clubhouse, and uh, the conversation we were having was uh, about uh, industry practices and sort of this. You know, the, the conversation was around why are we such jaded gamers uh, at this point, and why why are we so angry about uh, what the industry is doing relative to DLC, pre order bonuses, review copies, that sort of thing. And so the question you posed, Brent, was do you think waiting a few days to buy a game will curb bad industry practices? You gave the listeners three answers to choose from, and this is how it all shook out. Coming in in third place with 13% of the vote was no, I don't think it will change a thing. 
Coming in with 30% of the vote was, yes, so much of their shenanigans rely on blind day one purchases or pre-orders. And then coming in overwhelmingly with 57% of the vote in first place was, I think it will help, but most gamers will never have the discipline to do it. So uh, yeah. obviously that that, that uh, cynicism, that jaded attitude uh, that we were discussing continues on into the poll where we have no faith uh, that gamers will actually have the wherewithal to make a change. But I disagree, Brent. I, I think I, I think it starts, you know, it, it starts with every one of us with every game. Every one of us can be a shining lighthouse, a beacon, if you will, for the change that we wish to see happen. That's exactly right. And all right, Brent. So speaking of uh, people who are uh, looking to make changes, Brent, we have a, a very interesting topic this week. This is based on an article from Engadget about a former Rockstar developer. Why don't you set up the topic for us this week? Absolutely. Well, as I uh, as I w- was was mentioning um, there was a, a forum topic on OGS this week, and uh, people were just discussing the viability, effectiveness of gamifying education. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, did anybody have like any good, you know, kind of educational slash game experiences that, uh, that you got anything out of? And so it was just, it was kind of on my mind. And then uh, I came across this article on Engadget talking about uh, a former Rockstar dev, as you stated, a, a guy named uh, Navid Kunsari, and I'm hoping that that's relatively similar to how he pronounces his name. But anyway, um, he, is, uh, he is working on a game called 1979 Revolution. And if you happen to know anything about history, then you probably already surmised that 1979 Revolution, the game, has got a little something to do with the 1979 revolution in Iran. And um, he, uh, he is, a, is a, a native of Iran. I think he was actually, well, I want to say that he was, I think that he was born in Canada. I think he was born in Montreal, but, uh, but was raised yep. in Iran for the first 10 years of his life. And Correct. actually left Iran uh, at the age of 10 in 1980 after the uh, the revolution had occurred and and things had started to uh things had started to change there so um the game is is really ostensibly trying to not only you know be a video game that i you know i suppose will be hopefully fun to play will be compelling in gameplay but is also really trying to be informative about a historical event that a lot of people might might not really uh, understand or maybe even know about. So I think that, and I guess that the the other thing that I'll say is that uh, in terms of the gameplay style, it seems that this is going to, you know, probably be playing in the same sandbox as some of the Telltale games, and that I imagine it'll be very narrative focused. But uh, anyway, the that is what he is planning on doing with this game, and. I'm very, very interested in this. As somebody who's a fan of video games and a fan of history, you know, this is uh, peanut butter and chocolate as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Lauren, what about yourself? What are your thoughts on this? I think it's fantastic as well. And I I think, you know, uh, I think it's interesting to look at this, what this gentleman is doing and think of it as a genre, you know, and I haven't finished playing uh, Never Alone yet because I'm trying to play it with my wife. And so it comes down to a scheduling thing. But this is a similar, uh, Never Alone is, I would say in a similar genre it's it's uh documentary like it's based on uh real history it's got real uh historical um 
Uh, I mean, it's as we've talked about before, it's based on the Inuit people and the stories uh, of, of their people. Uh, and it's got interspersed through it, live action documentary style footage. And it fits very, very well. And, and uh, I am very excited about the idea of this emerging as a genre brand. And I think we're going to talk about a little bit about the game. Life is strange uh, in the, in the road in on the road. That's right. Um, but uh you know, I, I've talked about as, as will be no surprise to anybody uh, who's been listening to the show for a while. I've often said I'd like to see Juno made as a video game, right? The movie Juno. Yeah. Um, and what I really mean when I say that is to see uh, video games branch out and create emotional storytelling experiences that currently aren't commonly created in video games. Uh, and something like Juno, which doesn't have any, what I think is interesting about that sort of challenge for folks is that it doesn't have. Uh, you know, major action that moves the story forward. It's a personal story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when I say major action, I mean, you know, there's no like giant tornadoes that wreck the town and then you have to make the your way through it. The drama is not based on someone's <laughs> lives being threatened necessarily. Right. And, uh, I, and I, and I, I equate the, these documentary uh, style of games sort of uh, in that same idea, that same concept of pushing game design outside of its traditional box and trying to have it include some of the other uh, um, narrative genres that exist in filmmaking, that exist in books, that exist in television that don't require, as you said, life-threatening peril, uh, but are more um, about, you know, people about stories that sort of thing and i really really am intrigued by games going this direction and it certainly seems that uh, uh navid Konsari again and i apologize if we're saying the name incorrectly is doing something along those lines and i'm very very excited uh to see this piece when it's released i am too I, i'm a, as, as i think we all know at this point i'm, I'm a pretty uh, pretty big fan of history and reading history and the idea that you might get people excited about about history or or you know maybe even just a particular you know genre of history or a particular historical event that otherwise might not be particularly interesting to them the idea that uh, you might create a gameplay experience that would be compelling enough that would help them to become interested in it to to understand a bit more about it through the game itself to uh to kind of get a chance to live history, which is something that I find really, really compelling because so much of history is, you know, so much of history is looking back and trying to, to piece things together. But, uh, you know, to actually, the idea of actually being able to kind of, you know, have that experience for yourself an approximation of that experience, I should say, I find that really, really compelling. You know, it's one of the things that, it's one of the things about the Assassin's Creed games that uh, I have always, I have always been excited by, uh, despite the fact that I, I don't really enjoy the games all that much, is the opportunity <laughs> that they provide uh, for people to kind of live history, as it were, you know, to, to kind of directly interact right. with history. That's that's something that I, I think is very very cool, and I like the fact that it's being done specifically in this case with an eye towards. Um, towards a accurate depiction of history or, or at least an accurate yeah, towards actually being a documentary. Perception. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean the idea is for it to be, a, I don't think just someone's perception. 
I, although everything is someone's perception, obviously. Yeah, I was, was going to say, the idea, that's a rabbit no, hole. No, I, 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 <laughs> no, 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 existentially, yes. But the idea is it's a documentary. It's not just, which, and yeah. I understand that documentaries are very frequently skewed by someone's personal beliefs. But yes. the intent is it for it to be a nonfiction work. Um, and, and I think that's fascinating. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And I can't wait to see it. I would love, love I mean, you know, Brent, how obviously I'm passionate about uh, games as text and education. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think obviously this sounds like it would fit uh, very, very well. And, you know, he said he's using he's using the model of the Telltale games. Um, which I think is obviously a very uh, the, the recent Telltale games, obviously the Walking Dead's that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, good uh, model, obviously, obviously a very good model, right? And yeah. uh, uh, something that is one of the one of the best things about that model is that it's, it's super super easily accessible to non uh, traditional game players, to people That's that right. don't tend to play games a lot. Uh, from a from a user input standpoint, uh, it. It, it's, it doesn't require all 18 buttons in Twitch mechanics. And so, yeah. uh, and then also, because they work so well across, or they can, The Walking Dead, not so much, but I think they've improved since then. But, you know, because they are accessible usually on a lot of different platforms, mobile devices, tablets, that kind of thing, I think that that is a great opportunity to work them into uh, directly into education, you know, where those kinds of devices, tablets specifically, are being utilized much, much more. Yep, absolutely. I, th- I think this is a fantastic thing, and I am very excited to see it. And I, I would love to see uh, uh, m- more stuff like this. You know, he alluded to in the article, Brent, he talks about this. So this is going to be a series, which I didn't love, but it's going to be an episodic <laughs> series. Three episodes, I think he said somewhere around five ninety nine per episode. Uh, and then they're looking at doing other uh, other other parts in history. They taught, they alluded to uh, the uh, political upheaval in the United States in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also talked about trying to do shorter form stuff uh, in a timely manner. And, and in the article, they alluded to doing like, for example, doing something about Ferguson, but making it a 20 to 30 minute experience, but being right. able to put it out within a couple months of the actual um, historical event that he, that, that he's trying to uh, inform, educate, entertain uh, around. And so I also think that's super interesting trying to be timely. You know, we don't talk about that a lot in gaming. The idea of, you know, games take so long to produce that, yep. that it's hard to make them timely. Very true. Um, and I think that's a, a really interesting uh, thing for him to be exploring as well, trying to create a, uh, a game-making model that allows for uh, more rapid iteration for small scale experiences of 20 to 30 or 40 minutes. And I think also, I think that is also very, very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a... I, I really admire uh, the ambition that, that he has for this and, and for future titles, and, and I'd like to see more people doing it uh, because I, I think that I think there is a, a pretty profound experience that that can be available to people uh, by using games to to try and, and inform and, and educate, and uh, I'm I'm all about that. I think that uh, I think the medium. Is uh, is absolutely perfect for it. I, I can't remember if we talked about this on the show or if this is something we talked about off air. But uh, you know, I I had read an article recently about the development of Oregon Trail, which you know, of course, if you're if you're part of you know the generation Lauren and I belong to, you probably played Oregon Trail on an Apple IIe uh, when you were in grade school or something like that. And uh, the the game was developed with the idea in mind that you could communicate something about a historic event, which was the westward expansion of the United States and 
communicate something about that that people might not know, namely that it was really, really dangerous and that lots and lots of people died doing it from, you know, everything from drowning to bear attacks to, you know, to the famous dysentery. And, you know, I think that although it's a really, really simple example, it's one that people of my generation, just about everybody played that game and everybody does kind of know a little bit of something about the Oregon trail and the journey West and, and remembers that it was really, really easy to starve to death doing that or, you know, whatever. So I think that, uh, I think that given the 30 years or whatever it's been since Oregon trail come out, I think that we're due to, uh, to really take a look at using video games as a tool to teach history and probably a lot of other things too. Indeed. I, I think it's a very exciting prospect. You know, Brett, the more we talk about it, the more I think to myself that maybe we should try and get Navid on the show uh, and, and talk to him about his inspiration and what his future plans are and just about, in general, the genre of uh, documentary game making. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be a very, very uh, fun conversation to have, I imagine. Yeah, so uh, as, we us- as we usually do at this point, Brett, we'll, of course, turn it over to the listeners. But one of the questions I would like to pose to you, in addition to, <clears throat> excuse me, in addition to the idea of are you interested in documentary game making, uh, for those of you that have played, for example, Never Alone, uh, what did you think about uh, a game like that that had some actual uh, documentary footage interspersed into it? Uh, is this interesting to you? In addition to that, I'm curious to know if you'd be interested for us to have Navid on the show uh, and maybe talk about this subject uh, more deeply. More importantly, uh, uh, he can tell us how to pronounce his name. That, that, that's exactly, exactly right. So let us know what your thoughts are after the break. All right, everybody, get your cut on, saddle up. We're going to hit the road and talk about some of the games that we've been playing this past week. I'm going to start by kicking things over to Lauren, who's going to talk a little bit, as he, as he teased already, uh, uh, Life is Strange. Yeah, so Life is Strange, uh, Brent, is a game I've been highly, highly anticipating, a game from Don't Nod Studios. Uh, that is, uh, you know, as I alluded to earlier, we talk, I talk about always making Juno into a video game, and this certainly has a, a little bit of that feel to it. Yeah. Um, I, I will say at the top of this discussion that I had a bit of a frustrating experience uh, purchasing the game. Because I uh, I looked up, so they said they're doing uh, something not too dissimilar from what other titles have done with regard to episodic content. There's five episodes in this game, uh, but but isn't how it was originally done with The Walking Dead, and that is that they're selling the first episode for four ninety nine, and then you can buy a season pass for the rest of the episodes for sixteen ninety nine. Okay, but what I thought was that the uh, so I purchased it on the computer, not on my actual console, my PlayStation. So everything is a little bit smaller, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the graphics I'm talking about. And so I saw that the first episode was $4.99, and I saw the season pass was $16.99. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, they're, they're, the season pass is for all five episodes. That's the discount, right? That's the discount for, for uh, ordering the season pass. Not the case. So I bought... No, I bought, and you can't, the only place where it says episodes two through five are on the little, like, graphic, but it's so small that I didn't notice it. All I saw was the word season pass, and so I, I spent the 17 bucks only to find out that I hadn't actually purchased the first episode of the season. So I had to go back and buy the first episode of the season, which was pretty frustrating because of what I, of course, would have rather done was buy the first episode and see if I liked the game before kicking down the other $17. But I bought the whole season. Right so. on. 
Uh, I started playing this game. I have not finished it. I started playing this game with my wife again. This was a title that I thought would be very suitable to the two of us playing together, and indeed uh, it was, uh, or it is, excuse me. Uh, I've played probably 90 minutes of the game, I'm guessing, or of the first episode, I mean. And what I understand is that the first episode is somewhere between two and three hours. So I'm probably roughly about halfway through. Um, Right on. Plays very similar to... uh, Similarly to uh, the Walking Dead games, with uh, one major exception, and that is Don't Nod uh, Studios are the makers of Remember Me, and if if you remember Remember Me, there was a (laughs) a rewind mechanic in that game, a time rewind mechanic that uh, everybody liked and wished there was more of, Uh, but it was only a few times throughout the game. So uh, Don't Nod has actually taken that memory rewind mechanic and brought it into this game uh, and brought it to the forefront, so you're using it a lot more, which I think is interesting, and you can... Uh, uh, go you basically in, in, in any conversation you can rewind the conversation and check out other uh, dialogue alternatives and then make your choices uh, with which ones you want to stick with now at this point in the game uh, I feel like it's a little bit overdone in the sense that you literally can uh, go back and listen to everyone before making a decision and so uh, in some cases it almost takes the decision away uh, because you're allowed to listen to all the options, but at the same time, mm. uh, frequently you're just making the choice between which option do I want to exercise? Um, do I want to be this kind of person or that kind of person? Um, but so far, Brent, I, I really like it. It's very it's 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 difficult to describe at this point. Um, like I said, it's got something of the Juno feel to it in the context of uh, if you've seen the trailer, the music that sits behind it is sort of. Um, how would I describe it? Oh, how hmm, quirky, um, relaxing. Would you describe you know? it as quirky? Would you describe? I it might as describe relaxing? it as. I might. Um, okay. okay, I can see that. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. You start, you, you know, it opens up, and you're the you're uh, there. You're a, a teenage girl who has moved back to her hometown of Arcadia Bay in Oregon. Uh, you are uh, going to uh, your high school for the first time, and it starts out. Uh, very early on in your time back in high school. And so it's really interesting. There's a lot of sort of backstory you can read, um, which we read all of. Um, it's got a little bit of the feel of, um, oh, what was, the, what was the game that just recently came out that was so wonderful about the girl uh, who walks into that? Gone Home. Gone Home. Not Gone Home. Is it Gone Home? Yeah, gone that home walks into a, the house. She comes home to an empty house and is... Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's got a little bit of that aesthetic of like the teenager, like you know, you're looking through a notebook and there's doodles and stuff like that. Um, Are there sparkles? There's no sparkles. If there's doodles no. and no sparkles, then fuck this game. You know what I'm saying? There's no scar. There's there's uh, no sparkles. So uh, yeah, so it's I mean, it's obviously it's a story based game. The reason I'm a little hesitant is because I, you know, I know at some point there, the, and, and this is what I talked about earlier in, in talking about Juno and the comparing and contrasting the idea of. Uh, a game like um, Life is Strange feels like up to this point, kind of like Juno, but I know just from the trailers that at some point in the near future, there's this like big uh, catastrophic event like a hurricane or a tornado or something, and it becomes apocalyptic a little bit, and so it kind of goes down that road, right? Right. Um, so I, I can't, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't... Uh, I'm reserving judgment for now. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed the first hour and a half that I've played. It's got a very unique vibe to it. I've enjoyed the mechanics of the game uh, tremendously. I very much enjoyed playing it my wife with my wife, and uh, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, to playing through the rest of this episode and seeing how it finishes up. 
That's great, man. We're all very delighted to hear yeah. that uh, you enjoy playing with your wife. Moving on. Yes. Um, I, as I said that I would, I, uh, I've played the next episode of The Wolf Among Us. Uh, I completed episode three this past week. And I have to tell you that um, after episode two, I'm a little bit let down. Um, I really enjoyed the detective work going on in episode two. And there was, uh, there really wasn't any of that, uh, going on here. There, there is some stuff that you're trying to work out, but it's basically arrived at through conversations. You know, you're essentially kind of doing interrogation type stuff. You're doing coercion, uh, you know, trying to, you know, to get people to tell you or help you or whatever. And that is, that's fine. It's all well and good. Uh, and I do enjoy it, but I have to say that I really enjoyed the uh, the, the bit of deductions stuff that was going on uh, towards the end of episode two. I was hoping for a bit more of that, didn't get it. Uh, so that's the gameplay experience side of it. In terms of the story, it's it's really uh, it's really great. I, I I love you know where things are going, and I've got you know all kinds of theories and things like that about you know what we might see happen and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a really, really fantastic bit of work. It's based on great source material. The, the fact that, you know, that you're doing this sort of fanciful film noir, hard boiled detective, uh, you know, Ray Chandler kind of character and kind of story. And then it has so many trappings of that genre, uh, a, a lot of the character archetypes and so forth. And, um, it's just, it's 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 one of those things that like just every time I play it, I'm kind of reminded of just a how clever I think it is, uh, b how well executed I think it is, and um, it just it just makes for a really really great game experience. And the other thing that I was just going to say briefly is you know we were talking about episodic content not too long ago. We were talking about how we both cooled on it a bit. But I think that I've I've figured out at least for me what the what the thing to it is, and we I, we might have touched on this briefly. It's not that it's not that I, I dislike the idea of playing a game for two hours, which is about how long it takes to get through a chapter of The Wolf Among Us. It's not that I mind sitting down and playing a game for two hours, finishing, and then saying, okay, well, you know, I've got to wait uh, until the next episode comes out and and play that then. It's the amount of time that you've got to wait. Waiting a week in between those play sessions is awesome. It's the perfect amount of time to really, you know, get some anticipation and be looking forward to it. Waiting three months is too long for me personally. And I think that's why I've ended up, you know, sort of binge watching in air quotes, The Walking Dead uh, and, and why that was originally what I was going to do with The Wolf Among Us. And I'm not quite binge watching, but I'm kind of. I think what I'm doing is I'm sort of building my ideal uh, episodic pacing pace. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You know, and I think for me, if they were to, if they were to work on these games and I would just be curious to know how people would react to it. If they release these games a week apart, you know, over the course of five weeks, something like that, I think even a, even a couple of weeks apart would probably be sustainable, but much beyond that. Yeah, it, it, I, I do. I, I get to the point where it's like, I don't want to get all excited and, and, and get a lot of anticipation going for something that I can't play for three, four, five months, whatever it is. So uh, I have to say that I think that I'd be very curious to kind of see how I and others would react if they were to 
basically work on all five episodes and then just artificially release them, uh, you know, like a week apart, a couple weeks apart from each other. I, I'd be curious if that would fare better with players or not. But anyway, so that's it for me. Well, then that does beg the question, is that are they... Uh, creating it episodically for the sake of the storytelling? Like, is it a storytelling device, or are, do they do it for, from a production standpoint? Do you know, know what I mean? And I, yeah, it's probably a bit of both, I'd imagine, but yeah, that's a good Right, and, I, and I'm, not sure, I'm not sure, like, oh, historically, uh, how those decisions were made. You know, Alan Wake, for example, uh, created the game episodically, but they were all released at one time. Right. Uh, you know, I can't remember... Do you remember like the, the the interval in The Walking Dead when it was when it came out? I don't. It seems but. like it was. It seems like it was two or three months between between episodes. I, I mean, it, like it seems to me that they had all five out over the course of a year. The, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, but I agree with you, Brent. It is. It is a lot. To, it does have a lot to do with the uh, with the pacing of of how you're able to imbibe them. But uh, I'm glad to hear you're you're still playing, and I'm, I'll be excited to hear over the coming weeks. Uh, how you feel as you progress? Because uh, as I said, the what I, the little I did play of it, I thought was fantastic. It's only uh, it's only gotten better in terms of the story. Excellent. Uh, all right, Brent. So, it's time. It is time uh, for I, I I don't know. I, have you been eagerly awaiting hearing uh, what my response has been, or do you even care? As much as I can care about anything that you say when you open your mouth. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've with been, that caveat, yes. I, with yeah, that having been said, yeah, I, I have been curious to know uh, how you were going to react to this. Although I, I feel like I've got, I feel like I've got a pretty good idea, um, because it sounds like you know you, you're continuing to play the game and are pretty interested in it. But uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about Dying Light. And well, and I, and I gave you it. a little a little taste of it before the show. But so the game we're talking about <laughs> is Dying Light. Uh, this is a game that uh, I, I have to say I've been fairly cool on of late mm-hmm. uh, and you and I have been pretty cool on it as we've been talking about it uh, the game came out last Tuesday there were uh, no review co- or review copies were provided to media outlets uh, something like 12 hours before the release which is uh, an abnormally uh, close amount of time in which nobody was able to formulate a review uh, everybody of Probably course the entire intention of the endeavor right which uh, I have now seen a couple um People edit their initial stories and say that they recognize now that really the Techland was working on the game up to the end, and that it doesn't seem like it was uh, a device not to not to to prevent reviews from happening. However, um, certainly it cast a shadow of dispersion over the game itself uh, for gamers at large, I think, and, and absolutely for you and I, Brent. Um, we obviously didn't pre-order this game. The game came out. I watched some Let's Play videos, and I really kind of. Went back and forth. I was on the fence about this game for, for the first couple of days watching videos. And eventually I decided to take the plunge, Brent. Okay. Uh, if, so if you are listening to this and you're interested in Dying Light, uh, I will start off this conversation by saying I encourage you to listen to the entire thing uh, because uh, you're not going to glean w- what I think you need to hear from the first minute or two. But uh, so... Let me preface this by saying that I'm playing on the PS4. I bought the digital download version. Uh, I have about, at this point, 14 hours into the game. Uh, I have covered approximately 28% of the story okay. uh, with 14 hours in the game. And I'm playing mostly story, but not entirely. All right. Uh, so there seems like there's a lot of, quote, story to be had. So let's start with the uh, basic setup of the game, Brent. And that is, 
that Dying Light is every open world trope you can possibly imagine. Okay. And I do not mean that in a kind way. Well, that, that was what I was going to ask. Is, is, it, <laughs> is it like a celebration of every open world trope? Or is it like they don't realize that their game is nothing but trope? It, it's like, you know, stereotypes exist for a reason, Brent. Uh, but it's as if somebody, it's as if, you, if this game went out and tried on purpose to be a stereotype. Yeah. Um, there, it is literally like, here's the, the <laughs> here's your, here's your base. Uh, it's an open world game. So, uh, every mission, every mission is some form of a fetch quest. Nice. Or a, or a turn this on, or, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there, there's, um, uh, what did they call them in Borderlands? The the boards where you would go, um, where you would go to get like side quests or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- they have those exact boards. The They're bounty, literally like the cork boards. boards. The bounty boards. They're literally like cork boards in the building or freestanding boards outside where you go and pull sheets of paper that have you know go get crayons for the kids or right, like because, just ridiculous side quests. After the zombie apocalypse, messages posted to cork boards become the de facto standard for mass communication. Right, of course. Um, uh, there is, you know, at any time you have a story mission going and as many side missions as you want, uh, you can do them. You know, you could do side missions forever and not do story missions or vice versa. Uh, it is um, every care, you know, so it's either the bounty boards or, you know, there's an exclamation point on your obligatory mini map mm. that you walk up to and it's a person who then tells you some stupid ass story about his wife. Uh, and then you have to go find his eyeglasses for him <laughs> or, uh, or you have to, my wife uh, got eaten from the ankles to the thighs. Would you mind getting my eyeglasses? This, <laughs> That's right. I mean, That's pretty it, much huh? dude. It is the uh, worst. Like, Oh my God. Well, it, it's, know, I mean, it's, it's just, I, but that's the vibe that we got. I mean, you remember that trailer that we talked about? I think, I think that was the last episode of the Axe Factor. Was it when Tony and Daniel were on, uh, Tony and Daniel were on and we were talking about that trailer yeah. that was just, I mean, it was just like cliche after cliche after cliche. And, you know, I mean, we were just laughing about it. I was like, Oh, come on. You can't really have done this intentionally. Did you? And it, I mean, it gets, it goes on beyond that, Brent. The dialogue is also cliche after cliche after cliche. The characters are all like the most ludicrous, laughable game cliche characters. The graphics in the game are, uh, and the reason I went to graphics is because I was thinking the character models are, are, are not good. They all look blocky. They're all wearing your typical post apocalyptic, post apocalyptic, uh, clothing. Uh, there's there's this sort of requisite um, BS open world RPG aspect in the context of like you can get different outfits, but and I now have three outfits, but you almost never see your own outfit, so it's just pointless. The only time you see it is you know is in the co op. Somebody else will see your outfit. Um, I mean, it's just it's awful. The the the, the voice acting is is. Um, it, it, it's just awful, dude. It's so bad. Yeah, it takes place. It takes place. The voice acting, the lead character is is quite fine, uh, but the 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 game takes place in Haran, a city in Turkey, and like the characters have these um, very cliche sort of Middle Eastern accents. But there's also, of course, like the I, I ran across the token Hispanic character who sounds like she's straight from Mexico, and I don't know if there's a lot of like actual like straight from Mexico Mexicans in Turkey maybe there are I have no idea right. um 
it just I mean it, it feels like it's literally just going down from every aspect of like GTA Assassin's Creed and every other open world game that ever existed and ticking off every single part of it I mean it's it's to the point that it's laughable really yeah. I mean it's just laughable I'm laughing um, it's awful the, the dialogue the writing is terrible the story is uh, I don't even know what the story is but it's terrible I mean you're working <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this about the story. I'm not a leader. I'm a parkour. I'm a parkour instructor. instructor. That's what the story is. Uh, it's terrible, dude. It's awful. Jesus. Uh, but here's the thing. Also, the graphics is yet one other thing that I feel I have to bring up. The graphics when you're outside. Oh wait, did I get to the part where the zombies are are are? somewhat laughable and they fall off of things in the like most ludicrous way and clip through things and stuff like that. Did I, did I get no, to that no, part yet? Not about that yet. Uh, so the graphics are an interesting animal because the graphics when you're outside uh, are, are unbelievably beautiful, like uncharted beautiful. Beautiful. But the character models are terrible. When you're inside of a building, like the objects inside the building, the cups, the table, the chairs look like they're from 10 years ago. Uh, it's very, very strange. There's this weird, weird dichotomy of like really beautiful outdoor graphics and really bad indoor graphics. Okay. Um, okay. Now, so, all that stuff aside. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff aside, Brent. I am totally addicted to this game <laughs> and absolutely <laughs> loving playing us. it. <laughs> I am loving this game. All that stuff aside, and all that stuff is laughable. I mean, laughable. But the I really feel like, for the most part, they managed to nail some of the most important things about game making and have therefore made this game, at least to this point, 14 hours into it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't wait to get done recording so I can go back and play it some more. Fascinating. Uh, so the parkour is great in the game. I'm totally enjoying it. It's very well done. Uh, the combat in the game is, while awkward, it feels appropriate because you're trying to create this sense of like being a little bit afraid of the zombies. And so it's not just so easy to mow them down. Um, and it's also satisfying the soundscape and like what you do when you hack off their their heads or bash in their heads is is viscerally satisfying. Um, the day night cycle, as I said, the outdoors is beautiful. So when you're parkouring around the city, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a lot of fun and it's gorgeous to look out. Look at the day night cycle uh, works very very well. Um, I have been well, out and, and at night. In fairness, I thought, I mean, to me, that was the real cornerstone of my initial interest in the game. I thought that was a very cool idea. It is. It is. And when I say it works well, I don't mean they did a good job of making it change from day to night, uh, because that wouldn't really be much of an accomplishment, now would it? Uh, what I mean is, when you are out at night, you are genuinely scared. Scared shitless. But if, you, if you're careful and you use your resources, you can move around at night. And when you're out at night, 
so a couple things. When you're out at night, so there's, there's three skill trees in the game. Agility, survival, and power. Power is connected to uh, fighting. Agility, as you can imagine, is parkour, and survival is literally just survival. And that skill tree, uh, you get things like being able to make herbs, and, and, and there's all sorts of things. There are three unique skill trees, all of which are uh, you level up in individually, so they're not connected, so you don't have to make a choice to upgrade in one over the other. Uh, but within each one, you are making choices constantly about which uh, perk do you want in that skill tree. And each one of them, uh, you gain XP in that specific skill tree by doing the things that are in uh, that skill tree. So by doing parkour, uh, you level up your agility skills, right? Okay. By, doing, uh, by fighting, you level up your power. Yeah. And by surviving through the night... Uh, and sur- surviving period, but also surviving through the night, you level up your survival skill. Okay. So when you're out at night, uh, all your your agility and power skill points, or is it agility and survival? I can't remember. They double. Everything's worth double. So there's an incentive yeah. to be out at night. That's cool. Uh, That's additionally, cool it's very cool. Additionally, uh, there are a few missions you can only do at night. So you have to be out at night. Uh, and when you're out at night, all the zombies are out. Uh, they're a little bit worse. And then there's these... Um, uh, oh god, the name is escaping me right now. What they're called? Um, virals, I think. I can't remember. That are just like insane and un- at, at this point in the game, unfightable. Um, and uh, they when they show up on your mini map with a cone of a sight cone, uh, so you can avoid them, but you have to you have to skulk by them. But you have to skulk by them in the dark. And when you're in the dark, you never know when you're going to bump into another zombie. Oh yeah, I mean obviously uh, because you can't see, and you have a. Fl- it's just so good. It's so frightening, dude. Uh, but it's just possible enough that like every time it turns to night i think should i stay out tonight just to gain extra points or to go do that night mission or uh and and uh, occasionally i'll just be like no i can't handle it right now it's too emotional i can't do it um and other times i will stay out and take the risk uh it's it's really really well done um so uh, so you've got you, basically what you've got here is you got a game that's got a really really terrible story, has got some yeah you know pretty pretty cliche pretty been there done that design choices, but sounds like at its core from a mission structure standpoint, but at its core has some really really great ideas on gameplay. That's exactly right, and that it, 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 its mission structure is cliche. Uh, its you know its UI, for example, is cliche. Uh, its story and its characters and its voice acting are all just typical tropes. But the gameplay itself has some very unique aspects to it that are very well done. Uh, that I appreciate, and they've done a very good job, I think. Uh, I haven't even gotten into the weapons crafting system. Uh, they've done a very good job of. Uh, the other element that you and I always talk about, Brent, and that is pacing. Uh, and when I say that, I, I mean not the pacing of the story, which is frequently what you and I refer to, um, but they've really nailed the pacing of player progression in the game in terms of how I'm getting better at all my skills and how my weapons, uh, how my weapons are increasing. And so it's just, so far, 14 hours, uh, it's, just enough that I feel like I'm getting like the lo- the looting, uh, the looting mechanics and all that are are all tied in so well that I'm constantly looting 
throughout the whole game and totally enjoy it. And I'm constantly getting just slightly better weapons or just slightly better upgrades to my perks or just slightly better upgrades that I can add on to the weapons or just slightly better throwing stars. Or look, now I've got the Molotov cocktail and they split that up over five or six or seven different systems, right? So there's the agility, the survival, and the power upgrades. And then uh, there's getting better weapons. And then there's uh, add-ons to weapons. And there's two different kinds of add-ons to weapons. And then there, uh, and then there are, you have like primary weapons like a gun or an or a axe or something like that. And then you have a secondary set of weapons like throwing stars, throwables basically, throwing stars, grenades, molotovs. Uh, and so... Uh, there's all those things for those weapons. And then there's recipes you get to, and then there's herbs where you can make like a night vision potion. So you can actually see at night for about a minute, which I just got 14 hours into the game. Um, and so they've spread out player progression into five or six or seven different progressible systems. And it keeps the pacing moving really nicely without causing you to be overpowered. Um, yeah. and so they've done a really fantastic job with the gameplay and the player progression mechanics and the loot mechanics that I, despite the fact that it's every trope that I'm so sick of in open world games, I'm totally, totally enjoying playing this game and think about it when I'm not playing it. Mm. Well, that's, that's always the barometer that I use. I mean, you know, when, when something kind of, you know, gets under your skin enough that, you know, all you're doing is thinking about it when you're not playing it. I, that's, that's a game that's, you know, that's working on, on some level, that uh, that game is working for you, indeed. And I think I put. I think I bought this game on on Thursday, Brent. Wednesday night, or maybe the Thursday, and I put fourteen hours into it, and I and I'm completely enjoying it. So so more so than than I th- can think of any game like right now. This game is is not the sum of its parts. I mean, if you really just looked at it on paper, if you know, if at this point I was going to give it a review score, I would be hard pressed to give it you know probably over a seven just based on the fact that that. Uh, so many of the uh, uh, things are are sort of cliche, like we talked about the story, the voice acting, uh, the graphics are t- you know i i, I couldn 't give it a nine or a ten uh, because of that reason, but i 'm still totally enjoying playing this game, and at this point would wholeheartedly recommend it to people who are interested in it because uh, i 'm just having a great time with it pretty cool man, pretty cool yep so there you go. Um, I will obviously continue to talk about this. I played no Dragon Age this week because of Dying Light. I played uh, a little bit of Life is Strange, but that was it. I've really been playing Dying Light uh, and very much enjoying it. So um, I think that's that's all you've been playing this week, right, Brent? You don't have anything else nope. for the road that you've uh, just the Wolf of you've been playing. Me. I could talk about Star Wars Commander right, well, if you want me to, but I know you don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite all right. I think we'll call it. I think we'll call it a show with that, and we'll turn it over to our listeners to comment on, uh, as usual, everything we talked about on the show this week. Whether it was Dying Light, The Wolf Among Us, Life is Strange. Uh, likewise, what we talked about in the clubhouse about uh, documentary game development, and of course, what we talked about while we were out in the garage working on stuff: The Witcher, Joystick Closing Shop, and Nintendo's new partner program with YouTubers. Let us know uh, what you guys think of all of those subjects, and of course, anything else that's gaming related or anything that you're playing right now. We always want to know what's going on in your gaming lives and what you think about what's going on in the industry, so please make sure and let us know. Uh, And with that, I think we're going to call it a show. As usual, he's going to be Brent Adams. I am Lauren Baumgart, and remember, guys, you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. (laughs) 